Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined by who else? Will Schroeder, Startups.com CEO and founder. Uh, so just for context, depending on when you, you dig this out of your, your podcast archives, uh, we are still in the middle of, of COVID-19, in case this is later and there's another one. God, I hope that's not a thing. COVID-20, COVID-21. Okay, so we're in <laughs> COVID-19. Um, and uh, we're facing, uh, you know, the likely onset of a, of a U.S. recession. And so we thought we would spend some time talking about uh, what it's like to build a startup or grow a startup, run a startup uh, during a time of recession. Um, you know, we talk a lot about running startups, but uh, not everybody has, is old enough to have been through one of these before. Uh, like, yeah, so Will, tell us what that's like. I have no idea. I have no it's idea. A common theme. We're old. <laughs> you tell <Yeah>. us. <laughs> About being old, yeah. Right. Uh, back in my day, um, yeah. You know, so here's there. If you've been in this long enough, uh, you've been through at least two epics. You've been through post nine eleven. You've been through post two thousand seven two thousand eight yes. um, financial crisis. Again, these are both uh, U.S. Uh, based recessions, uh, and and there were many more before that. But what there hadn't really been before those is a startup recession. You know, a lot of people don't think about this, but we really didn't have a, a startup economy yeah, that's right. until the Correct. 1990s, not in the way we have it now. Um, and so, you know, VC became particularly big, uh, the rise of um, small startups, MVPs, you know, all this stuff that kind of changed the game a bit. Uh, so again, if you've been doing this long enough in the startup world, you've been through at least two major recessions. Um, and maybe you've been fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to have had to navigate your startup through those recessions. But there's a part that people don't talk about. We all understand the part where going into the recession, kind of the world melts down, right? It's kind of where we are right now. And people are having to let people go and they're losing customers and they're you know worried about whether their business will sustain. What a lot of people don't talk to you about, and you know what I'd love to talk with you today, Ryan, um, is what do you do to find the opportunities in a recession? See, sure. we've had the opportunity in our lifetimes to actually have gone through the full cycle a few times. So we actually know that there is another side to this, kind of like when the stock market implodes. There is a, a part where you can buy stock cheaper than you could have ever bought it before yeah. and do really well with that outcome. So while the recession and everything leading into it is always horrible, it's not necessarily the end of days for startups if they really understand the long game. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about a few of the the aspects that, uh, that you know, we're, there are obvious downsides to this, right? So we're not saying, hey, yay, it's a recession, everybody rejoice. Uh, but what we are saying <laughs> yeah. is there there are opportunities. You know, you you talk about the um, uh, the ability to buy stocks on the cheap, right? There's certainly a lot of that going on right now. Um, ask real estate investors who were sitting in cash in 2007, 2008, how much fun they had uh, when the the housing market started to collapse, and certainly a lot of opportunities there. Right. Um, and and you know the the analogs are are not one to one, but there are a lot of these kind of things that come up in the startup space as well. So let's let's talk through some of them. What do you think's the uh, what's the biggest one for you? Well. Okay, so I, I think part of it too is I think we can start to use a comparison. This will be helpful for folks that have been building their startups in a good economy to understand some of those big hurdles that we didn't even realize we were dealing with in a yeah. good economy, like trying to find talent, trying to access capital, et cetera, um, actually go away in, in ways yeah. you wouldn't think of. For example, if in if heading into prior to the recession, there was tons of competition for what we were doing, Right. In this weird one fell swoop, competition goes away. 
I mean, again, I hate to use this as an example, but look what just happened to Amazon. I mean, Amazon was already eating the lunch of its retail competitors, but overnight, not only did Amazon become more important because of its delivery infrastructure, but all of its competitors literally got shut down. <laughs> all retail was yep. told to stop Became operating. The option, the only yeah. option. And so, but actually, let's use that because I think it's got a good broad context to it. Sometimes the fastest way to, to run faster than your competitors is for them to stop running at all. And I think what happens is uh, in a recession, a lot of that competition goes away. And even if it doesn't go away, a lot of it gets horribly distracted, right? Oddly, this is going to sound bizarre. We don't really have a lot of direct competitors at startups.com. We have people that kind of do some of the same things that we do, but but we don't have like a, a one-for-one competitor, like an Uber Lyft kind of thing. Uh, but if we did, I would be laser-focused on how well that competition's leadership was navigating that uh, that team through through a recession. Because I can tell you, the folks that haven't done it or the folks that aren't good at it get absolutely throttled, which is the fastest way for us to grow outside of our competition. It means all of those customers aren't getting served. It means there's new opportunities there. Yeah, it was interesting. I was, I was you know, without being able to kind of sit on the, on the, in on a board meeting or something with another company, there are some interesting indicators that you can pick up on. Uh, one of the things I was keyed in on uh, strongly, and of course it's because I, you know, I handle marketing for us, but I was watching closely marketing of not just our competitors, but other people in the same, in the same space, complementary products, and trying to understand at which point they had crossed over into desperation marketing. Right. Right. It all started out Absolutely. with some, hey, how can we support you through COVID to 99.9% off COVID sales, right? And, <laughs> exactly. And, no, you you see know, it. Right. And, that, and, and so, you know, you can, you can kind of watch this play out. And it was really interesting to see uh, which of the companies kind of got there first, which have never got there. Um, and it was a great indicator, right? Without being able to be a fly on the, the wall in the boardroom, there were still some really interesting takeaways just from watching how people were communicating, even through their marketing, right? Which you would think uh, you, could, you could sort of disguise or, or mask some of the desperation or, or the internal uh, struggles. But in this case, some of that came through very, very clear uh, in their marketing messaging. This was interesting to watch. Well, sure. I mean, think about it too. Like uh, in the middle of a recession, as you're having to make really tough decisions as leadership, you know, speaking as your competitors in this yeah. case, um, and you're going to have to lay people off, you're going to have to lose clients, et cetera. There's nothing internally that's thinking in your mind, let's go play offense, right? People right. start to curl up into a ball and, and they become so internally focused. I mean, think about it when, when you're growing, you, you have an internal focus because you want to maintain culture, you want to maintain scalability and infrastructure, et cetera. But it's generally positive stuff. Right. You know, there's company announcements about how many new people you hired. When it goes the other direction and you start having to let go of people, then all of your focus becomes this quagmire of internal politicking, of you know just bad morale. Um, it becomes a, a, a self-inflictive torrent within the company that sucks all the energy and drive out of the company. You know, it's one of the things, Ryan, that, that, that we communicated to our staff at the beginning of all of this is we have to stay focused. Yes. Because the moment we lose focus, the ship starts going down. And, and again, to everyone's credit, Dipset is incredibly focused. 
Yeah, we've, we've done a great job, I think. And that goes back to the, the previous episode, which if you didn't listen to, check that out now. Um, I think it dovetails nicely into this one. Uh, there's some very, very uh, similar lessons to be taken away from, but with different contexts. Um, having that clear communication and, and staying focused and giving that strong focal point uh, was was really important for us. And, and not trying to go too broad, not saying, hey, let's just keep everything the same as it was. Like, here's the new context. Let's right. focus on this instead now. Let's narrow things down. Um, and I think that that's a big part of, you know, we're talking today about how to uncover these opportunities, what opportunities exist within within a recession. Um, if you don't have that focus, or said differently, if all of your focus is turned inward and you're looking at those uh, you know, the, the, the communication breakdowns or the internal strife, you're not going to see the external opportunities. And even if you see them, you're not going to be positioned to execute on them. So you're absolutely right. The, um, that internal communication piece, making sure that everybody stays focused is going to be uh, paramount in, in, in terms of creating the situation that allows you to capitalize on these opportunities. So, uh, so yeah, competition being distracted is, is a huge one. Um, and, and I, you also, know, Ryan, it's one of the few times where it actually happens. Right. I mean, think about it. Up until the recession or up until like a cataclysmic event like the, the last few we've been through, yeah. all of your competitions focused on taking you out, right? They're, That's right. They're focused on taking yeah. your customers, you know, sometimes your people, et cetera. All of a sudden, they're no longer focused on that, right? It's like basically being in the middle of a boxing match. And the person that you're boxing <laughs> is checking their their text messages because it, there's something's happening. Yeah, he just starts listening to his corner man. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. What, I mean, like, like yeah. right, right, left. But it's it's such an interesting opportunity because yeah. at that point, that team is no longer focused. Uh, they become easier to defeat. Now, I'm not saying that, you know it's all about winning or losing kind of thing, but what, but we do have competition, and this is a unique opportunity in the middle of a recession to capitalize on that 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 different stance. And I think as founders, if we don't do two things, like I mentioned earlier, if we don't rally our team so we're still focused on the match, so to speak, yep. but also start to pay extra close attention to what's happening with our competitors to see where there might be an opportunity there to kind of get that extra punch in, um, we're missing. I mean, if, we're, if, 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 if we don't recognize how critical this is, so many companies can make dramatic leaps, again, going back to the Amazon example, yep. just by properly understanding how to execute at the right time. Yeah. And this is it. And, and it's obviously, you know, there's, there's more to it than just the competition slowing down, quieting down. Um, you know, in, in my case, one of the things I'm, I'm closely tracking is how are the competition spending compared to us, right? If we're looking at our paid marketing Absolutely. budgets, how are they spending compared to us, right? And so as we saw spending drop-offs, that does open the door for opportunity to spend more. It does. Um, but you still need to be careful that, like, you can still convert, right? If it turns out the reason nobody's spending is because nobody's buying, that's a good signal to take too, right? So right. You, you do need to, you know, move with caution, right? Sometimes there's a reason that everybody else pulls back. Right. Um, so yeah, so don't get rope doped going back to the boxing analogy here and, and just swing away, swing away, swing away and burn all your reserves. But uh, yeah, do look for these opportunities. Um, do do keep an eye on the competition and, and kind of try to evaluate from as many points as you can uh, what's going on around them. And, you know, not just what is an opportunity to go after the competition, but what opportunities are going to benefit you most in the long term? Certainly displacement of a, of a competitor or even just a short-term cash gain by picking up customers that otherwise would have been, you know, highly competitive in a paid marketing uh, context or something along those lines. Um, you know, this can be a great opportunity for that. Uh, so, so what else, Will? What else, uh, you know, as we... Well, as we okay, sure. So in good times, 
everybody and their brother is getting into our market. Everyone's <laughs> yeah, right. trying to get headlines. Everyone's on social. Everyone's trying to basically, you know, claim their space and shout out loud. In a recession, everyone gets real quiet. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot less yeah. noise. And if you start to think about how hard we were working in good times to try to break out of that noise through our recruiting, through our customer acquisition, through our press, through our social channels, through every single thing we yes. were doing was so hard because we had so many other voices, not just our competitors, by the way, I just mean in general, in general, right? There's yep. just so many people out there, uh, you know, creating content and noise. And all of a sudden, there's a lot less. I want to I want to key in on something you're saying there, which is which is noise. And and I think I also heard you say the word signal. And I think this is the really important point here, guys. There there wasn't necessarily a lot less noise. Um, in fact, in some ways, there there was more noise uh, when when COVID really started going. All of a sudden, you're getting all these messages about COVID policies. You know, here's cancellation sure. for Airbnb. Is what this like? Hey, you just started getting flooded, right? So there there was a ton of noise, but the noise to signal ratio got so far out of whack that on the rare occasion that something came through that looked like it wasn't COVID related, I was like, oh, please, some of that, whatever that is, I don't even care. At one point, I half jokingly posted on LinkedIn, the next person to market something to me without using COVID as the hook is going to get my money. I didn't even really care what it was. <laughs> it was just, please send me something with some signal to it. Um, and yeah, so I think yeah, that's yeah, something that in, in something like a recession or, or in the crisis that we're in now, it's really, really important to think about how you can dial in that, that signal to noise ratio, how you can be a bit more focused in terms of what you're delivering and make sure that, it, that it's actually going to resonate with the people that are listening to it. Because there is so much noise around this right now and there's so much information and misinformation um, that sometimes all it takes is just not going that same direction as everybody else, going against the grain a little bit, just standing out a tiny bit. Um, and thinking about, you know, the ways in which you do that, what's going to resonate with folks now, what do they actually need, right? I don't need one more reminder that, that this is a big disaster and that people's businesses are struggling and that, of course, you're there to help me in any way you can, as long as that means clicking on the link in your email and buying something from you. Sure. Um, right. So I, I think this is a, a good, a good time to, um, kind of dial up the empathy, um, dial back the, the the sales rhetoric and think about, you know, how can we actually get through to people right now and, and what will be meaningful for them? Yeah, you, you said dial up the empathy. Uh, what do people care about right now? Okay, yeah. So uh, uh, six months ago, let's say, I was competing with lots of other messages. I was competing with a message that says we're the best place to work. I was competing with a message that says uh, we've got the best product. I was competing with a message that says we have the best content, you know, follow our social, whatever. Now, because my competition is dramatically more focused, um, if they're even going to be around at all, if I just start isolating my message to your point of signal, and I start saying, hey, we're hiring. Yeah. By the way, maybe we're not hiring a ton. Maybe we just let go of a bunch of people, right? I mean, again, obviously in a recession, things aren't going particularly well, and, and we're not necessarily hiring a ton of people. But how many people that we couldn't talk to before might be open to a conversation now, right? Right. W whether they're partners, whether they're clients, whether whatever. Um, when when the recession hit, you know, after 9-11 in the U.S., uh, we lost clients at an epic rate, right? It was just unbelievable. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But at some point, I started to think about it. I'm like, well, so is our competition. And those clients have to go somewhere. In other words, yeah. like, like, you know, we worked with major brands like BMW and Best Buy and stuff like that. And I thought, if we're losing clients, it means other people are losing clients. And if they're losing clients, 
those clients are going to have to, you know, those are conversations that I would have never been able to get before agency of record right. opportunities. Let me go call on those folks. Right. And, and maybe there's no opportunity today, but no one else is calling on them because everybody else is worried about losing all their clients. Right. Um, <laughs> there was just a bunch of counter strategies that I started to learn that when everyone's running away, there is some opportunity to, in running toward because nobody else is doing it. Right. And, and I, I think um, if we zoom out a bit and we start to, to really think critically about the landscape, about everything that just changed and stop thinking entirely about defense. And just saying, oh, okay, we got to you know spend less on this, or you know cut this yeah. expense, et cetera, and say, okay, we're going to do all that by all means. We're, you know, we're going to circle the wagons and play defense. But then what? What does offense look like? You know, where are the new counter punches that we can start to land that no one else is thinking of? I think for folks, Ryan, I think for folks who have never been through this before, um, it's hard to think about anything but defense. Right. I, I, again, I, I, I don't want to underplay that. It's watching it's really clients hard. leak out the door, watching your MRR numbers trend down and trend down, getting closer yep. and closer to, um, you know, kind of hitting the red in terms of the, the cash flows or, or going further into the red, depending on, you know, kind of where you are in the life cycle of the company. Uh, those things all do require focus, right? And there may be circumstances in your business that, that don't allow you to play as much offense, but at some point you have to turn the corner on that, right? There, there's no version of cost cutting that grows the company long-term, right? You, you can play defense right. all you want. Um, at some point you got to turn the offense back on. And I think that that's, that's probably the, the part of this that is as much art as science is knowing when those times are, uh, like when to get aggressive with the marketing again. Um, and there are strategies around that, right? We've, we've been deploying that for the last couple of months where, uh, you know, we, we cut back budgets um, and then you push a little harder time to time and you see, do the conversions hold? Do, do clicks stay where we want them to be? Um, and, and there's a strategy around that, right? But obviously, depending on what your situation is, there may be more defense required, right? You may not be in a position where you've got any cash to spend, right? You're, you're going cash negative. Um, in those cases, it's uh, it's tough. Um, what what are some things you can think of? Will I've, I've got a couple in mind, um, and you sure. touched on some of them already um, in terms of you know uh, clients going into the wind from other other competitors, people you can pick up more easily. Um, and I think there is a big difference too between a, a big company and and a startup company too. And I think there are right. different opportunities for them, right? Because a, a small company may be able to afford to be more nimble or take on a project that, you know, is so small for a, a larger competitor that it just wouldn't be economically feasible or worthwhile. And so I think that at, at times where, you know, your, your ability to grow is severely hindered by, you know, an economic recession, you need to think about what are the unique capabilities of, of your particular company, right? And again, if you're, if you're small and nimble, um, maybe that means being able to go after some larger clients you wouldn't have been able to get to before whose budgets are now so Absolutely. small that their agencies don't want to work with them, right? right? Or uh, things like if, you know, if you've got a more flexible um, staffing line, for example, you know, big companies with a ton of fixed salary overheads, don't have a lot of options, right? In terms of, you know, what they can do legally, how they can, you know, even just ethically, how, how do we, how do we ride through this? Um, you know, a very small company, one that's, that's largely contractor driven, uh, or, or relies on service providers to, to fill in some of those things that would traditionally be overheads, um, can leave you in a really interesting and, and beneficial position. So I think it's always worth turning the lens back around and saying, okay, 
what about this situation um, can be perceived as beneficial for us, right? So are we more nimble, um, you know, or are we so conservative that we've always sat on cash, um, which has limited our growth in the past, but now leaves us in a cash flush position, right? Well, let's talk about Probably that. Probably not the case for a ton of people, but but it's an option, right? And it can happen. Well, let's talk about the, the uh, you know, what our cash can buy us, because I, I think yeah. that leads us to the, the next logical thing is, the world's about to go on sale. Yes, exactly. And if you've never been in a startup when the world goes on sale, it's awesome. Uh, yes. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, similar to the, the noise issue, all the things that we are spending so much money on all of a sudden become awfully cheap. Yes. In a way that it fundamentally changes the economics of our business, forcing us to actually rethink what could this business be given these new economics? And, and I'll right. give you just really a life-changing example that, you know, that, that I went through, uh, post nine 11 or leading up to nine 11, it's the go, go nineties. It's the dot-com boom, all those things. Everything was bananas expensive. Yes. Everything, everything, right. Uh, office space people like I'll never forget even hosting. Do you remember we used to pay for hosting? Oh my God. <laughs> right. Hosting marketing. I mean, literally everything you could come up with yeah. was crazy expensive. Like as expensive as it's ever been. And uh, one of the things I thought about when, when everything kind of went south was, well, boy, like, where's all this stuff going to go? In other words, right. if, if, uh, if magazines at the time were selling every ad up until the bust, they still have to sell ads, but now no one's going to buy them. So I wonder what right. an ad costs these days, right? A lot less. Or, uh, so much less, right? Um, or hosting, or office space, or, I mean, people, you name it, everything, all of a sudden becomes a fraction of the price. Also, definitely worth noting, everything becomes renegotiable. <laughs> your office lease, yes. your contractor That's contract. A, it's a huge one. It's not just new things you're going to go buy, right? It's everything you're already paying Everything for. gets repriced. Yeah. And so, what happened was, like, up until, call it, like, 2001, 2002, if you wanted to do a startup, and mind you, the world was very different, um, not just because of the 90s, but because of cost structures. You know, they, We didn't have MVPs yet, you know, all this other stuff. Um, but if you wanted to start a startup, you actually did need millions of dollars. There, there was no way around right. it. Uh, you couldn't start it on your credit card, so to speak, uh, in most cases, because uh, media was different. There was no performance marketing yet. You couldn't buy per click. You had to just buy a giant spot and hope somebody clicked. Um, and so you didn't have nearly the freelance marketplaces, the gig economies, all these things you can tap into. But that's where it started. That's where all of this started to come to, come to fruition. And as I was exiting the agency, I was starting to look at all of these different things that were coming down in cost, hosting, performance marketing, all of these things. And I started to have a little bit of a light bulb moment. And I said, well, if all this stuff is cheaper, what, what kind of businesses could I build in the wake of everything being a fraction of the cost. Yeah. And for me, that turned into, you know, an incubator where I started to build SaaS-based businesses at a time when those weren't really a thing yet, um, not at a small scale. And it was awesome. Um, I, I could fund a company um, on my credit card that would have cost me millions of dollars a year prior. I mean, th think about that delta in that opportunity. And that was, you know, that was the dawn of like Web 2.0 and all of that stuff. Right. And I mean, it was that it was that reduction in cost um, that I think allowed a lot more entrance into the market, um, which is what really put startups on the map um, in, in a much bigger way, got them outside their their traditional geographic boundaries, traditional meaning, you know, like the, the seven or eight years prior to that. 
um, because as you said, they don't go back that far into history, not in the sense that right. we think of them now. And, and yeah, I think that was, yeah. So, you know, again, there are opportunities, uh, to be had and, and that was one that was less of an opportunity and just more of a, a global change, uh, that opened the door for future entrepreneurship, right? Had we not gone through, uh, you know, the, the nine 11, um, disaster and the subsequent recession, um, who knows? I mean, that, you know, as, as strange as that is to think about, that may have set startups back seven, eight, ten years. Yeah. Um, because if things hadn't gotten repriced, if things had stayed where they were, um, and it could have even cemented the system into something quite different than it is now, it may not have evolved Absolutely. at all. It may have stayed in that position. Because if, you know, a couple of, a couple of big breakout businesses had occurred, uh, kind of minting a couple of VCs um, and consolidating that power more than it is now, that could have dramatically change the landscape permanently, uh, which is, it's, it's fascinating to think about. Absolutely. And so if, if you go through your progression and by progression, I mean, you just walk down your, your P and L and you say, Hey, your income statement and say, Hey, you know, everything on this list should be repriced right now. Um, I, yeah. I'm going to make the exception of employees because <laughs> right. I, I don't want to say, you know, reprice the, the salaries you pay people. You may have to, by the way, whether you want to or not. Um, but I'm specifically talking about all the other costs. Um, if we look at our office space, I mean, Ryan, think about what's about to happen in commercial yes. office space right now. Oh my, wait, what's commercial office space? What's that? <laughs> right. No, what's, what's about to happen in commercial office space is essentially what happened, uh, post nine 11, where all of a sudden yeah. it just never came back. Right. Yeah. Once you had post nine 11, you had the entry of, uh, performance marketing, particular PPC and, uh, traditional marketing never recovered from that. Just right? never you know, came the, back. The internet yeah. kind of took over because it became more cost effective, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing the same thing now with office space, where you know we just canceled our office lease. You know, we've we've had a the, the same we've been in the same building for ten years. Yeah. And all of a sudden, my new we're mostly work from home, but we we're like just don't need it anymore. And, and I've got to imagine just don't need it. If, if we didn't need it, a lot of other people who are doing layoffs and you're really trying to shred costs hardcore, whether they need it or not, aren't going to pay for it. Not to mention retailers that have been put out of business, so on and so forth. Yeah, the commercial space is about to get very, very interesting. Yeah, and then the banks behind them and everything else like that. But, but I, I guess my point there is, um, if we go through the progression, we look at every line item uh, on our income statement, and we start to say, could this be renegotiated, or what does the world look like now versus when we bought this service? Yeah, if this was circa two thousand one ish, two thousand two, and I started to go through that same progression, I would say I'd start with a media budget. I was like, man. We're running ads on Yahoo. <laughs> I think that's the thing. <laughs> right. We're running our banner ads on Yahoo. You know, we're in uh, Fast Company. We're in, you know, we're all these different uh, journals. We're on highway billboards, right? I mean, it it sounds ludicrous, but that was part of a media budget. Yeah. Yeah, let's kill all that. Let's, let's move everything to online, which is essentially what I did. But um, uh, we then look at all the contractors who we're working with, our recruiters fees that we were paying, our accounting fees that we were paying. We look at yeah. everything and say, everything gets repriced. And the truth is, everyone else is repricing stuff too. Your clients are repricing you as well. Yes, <laughs> so of course. If you don't adjust your stock with everybody else's stock, you're you know you're in a tough spot. And so the other side of it is, you can start to say, when things were so expensive, we kind of had a relative measure in our minds of what a cost of goods sold looked like. And I don't know, just mean in traditional cogs where you're saying, you know, here's the manufactured cost of this product. But just in general, like our OPEX, like, like what it took to run this business. Maybe this right. is a way more profitable business 
if we're 33% down in total sales, but 50% down in uh, total OPEX, right? Right. And so yep. I think looking at um, the business, not just today because we're trying to cut costs to, to match up with what just happened, but also looking one, two, three years down the road and say, what does V2 of this business model look like now that the world has changed so much? Yeah, that's a great point, Will. I mean, we, we have to at some point turn the corner and, and start to be a little more forward-facing, right? We've got to start to think longitudinally. We've got to start to think down the line. Um, in as much as we're repricing um, you know, products and vendors and, and all the things that we're using, um, I think there's something else that's important that we do, which is to kind of reprice and maybe reset our baselines in terms of what does this business look like, right? It's not, it's not a temporary situation in which we say, okay, weather the storm, and then, you know, reemerge two years from now and we're just back to being the same business we were. Uh, you know, like we said, with, uh, with the agency world, it changed in, in, 2000, in the early 2000s and it, it never went back, right? Things didn't go back to being what they were before that. Absolutely. Uh, and so you have to consider you know, what the, what the long term outcomes there are and how does the business fundamentally change um, over that next two, three, four years. I, I think people have a hard time, particularly founders, but really even the entire staff, understanding that not every business has a straight line trajectory, right? And fundamentally, they can't. <laughs> very few do. Prices over <laughs> decades, right? What's yeah. that? Is very few do, in fact? Yeah, very few do. And, and what I mean by that is, um, especially among startups, there's nothing wrong with a startup hitting peak and then valley and then peak and then valley. By the way, it sucks right? There's no version yeah. when I say nothing wrong, like it's not painful. What I'm saying is if, if we we're killing it, let's say we became a $7 million business, um, at our peak before the, uh, uh, before COVID and post COVID we become a $3 million business. Yeah. If our mentality continues to be, why aren't we a $7 million business anymore? We failed. Yep. That's the equivalent of saying we lost the last game why aren't why don't we have that same score now or you know why are we not improving it and the truth is that game's over that you lost right yep let's focus on the next game that's exactly it right yep what is the best version of the business we can be in the new context right and that's what your mindset needs to be absolutely and i think the longer we try to hold on to the conditions of the past and this is the this is the the biggest mistake from big companies to small so long as we keep trying to recreate the past, which is all of retail for the last 10 or 20 years, all of media for the last 10 or 20 years, oh my goodness, um, yeah. we will fail. The only way that we can truly rebuild this thing and put ourselves back in a growth arc is to reset the chains and say, okay, at this point, we're a $3 million company. Let's be a badass $3 million company. As a $3 million company, Here's what OPEX looks like. Here's what revenue looks like. Here's what competition looks like now. Here's what all of our vendor costs look like now. Let's just reset the entire board, right? And stop talking about what happened last month or last year and focus 100% on what the new growth plan looks like. I don't, I just, I don't see a lot of startups doing that. I don't see a lot of public companies doing that um, because especially public companies, they're so hung up on last year's stock price or last quarter's stock price. I think yeah. right now, if every startup, if every founder were just to dig deep and say, uh, what's past is past, what does present look like? I, I think, I don't know, Ryan, you tell me, I, I think the opportunities would become far more vast if people just recalibrated properly. I think they are. Even, even just 
mentally and emotionally, the way it changes how you feel about the situation. I think that, you know, to your point, if you're just looking back at the past, if you're the guy who's just recounting that one touchdown he scored in high school over and exactly. over and over again, and just wishing that was the moment for the rest of his life, that sounds pathetic, right? Um, right. It's the same thing with, with your startup. And it's a little bit harder to recognize. And there's probably some version of sunk cost fallacy at play here where you're saying, damn, I, it was so hard to get to where we were. We worked, we worked, you know, our, our, our fingers to the bone and late nights and all that. And we invested, we finally got to that $7 million rate and, and now we're back to three. Like, how can that be? How can that be? Um, you know, and, and there's not much you can say to really create comfort in that situation other than maybe, well, remember that competitive years, it's no longer even around at all. Makes you feel better, right? Not really. I mean, the, <laughs> the relative measuring stick very rarely actually makes you feel any better. Um, but you know, it's the case that if you dwell on that, right, and you you think about, you know, how that business was in that context, um, you know, hindsight being what it is, of course, it was better to be a $7 million business um, just based on, you know, the, the pure uh, uh, math of the thing, but not necessarily, right? And and we can probably pull some examples together of, of businesses that became a better business after leaning down a bit. Um, I think about companies like um, Basecamp, right? Basecamp went far broader. Now, it wasn't a recession that caused that, but they built out a bunch of other products that turned out not to be core to what their users wanted. And at some point, they paired that back and they became a better business. They're now a right. bigger and, and financially stronger business based on having cut back what they were doing. So smaller does not necessarily mean um, worse and, and, you know, less revenue doesn't necessarily mean less wealth for the founder either. That's something else really important to think about. Um, sometimes being forced to go through one of these situations where you say like, Hey, how were we spending all that money? Right. At, at, right, at $7 million, right. If I was only putting, you know, four or 500 K in the bank each year based on a $7 million runway, and I can do the same thing at a $3 million what did I actually lose, right? I didn't lose anything from a founder wealth standpoint. Um, I'm still paying my people. We're still providing good service to the clients. Um, at some point, you've got to lean back and say, the metrics are important in the context in which they were created. And not after that, right? They right. don't matter anymore. If the situation changes completely, the, the validity of those metrics, the, the value of those metrics changes completely with the context. Right, uh, absolutely. And, and I, I got to tell you, I think... The faster that we reset our own mindset more than anything, uh, but certainly that of the team and kind of you know investors and everybody else that that might be 100%. involved in the company, the faster we put ourselves on the, the right trajectory. And again, I'm going to go back to this, how we're operating in the midst of how everyone else is operating. If, Ryan, if we have our shit together right now, if we stay focused, if we stay positive to the extent that we can, if we keep everything going like in a, a push forward direction, even though the world is pushing back. Yeah. That makes us so much stronger because everyone else is retreating, right? And, and that's, that's the essence of what we're talking about here, Ryan. I think at what point as a business, we can determine what our future is going to be, what the present exists, like in a realistic sense, and can focus on nothing but, okay, let's grow from here. We're 100x further ahead than everyone around us. And I think that's the, the core of the opportunity here. Yeah, I, you know, I would take this a step further and say there's not really a wrong time to do that, right? I, I think right. that you're forced into these situations uh, or into that type of reflection because of external situations. Um, but is there really a wrong time to, to to think about your business in that way and to make sure that you're kind of constantly recontextualizing, understanding the current situation? Um, 
you know, it's certainly in my case, and I think this is true of, of a lot of entrepreneurs that I know, we can get pretty myopic and we can put blinders on, we can go heads down and just keep plowing away. Um, and, and sometimes it's exactly what we need to do, but oftentimes there's a cost to that. We've, we've talked about it in the context of moving too fast, right? If you're growing really fast, you may miss an appropriate turn or pivot um, simply because your head's down and focused on, on a particular type of growth. Uh, same thing even in, 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 a, in a stable and mature business, um, and maybe even more so, you don't think about the need to optimize. You don't think about the need to kind of reset baselines because it's working well enough, right? And sometimes that can, that can bring huge costs to the, the overall health of the business because you're not forced into, into looking at uh, some of the underlying factors that could be, could be holding you back. There's another piece to that, which I always think is fascinating. Whatever the business has to strip down and rebuild, it almost never rebuilds the same way which there's yes. a lot to be said for that, right? You know, I've been right. watching major companies like Uber and uh, Airbnb and all these folks lay off massive amounts of people, right? I mean, here are these darling businesses, you know, billion dollar businesses, et cetera, just laying off people in the droves, right? Unprecedented yep. numbers. By the way, it's not their fault. I mean, literally the whole world shut down. But my point is, there's no version where they're going to say, look, when things get better, we're going to hire every single one of those people back. We're going to, you know, uh, start up every single one of those initiatives. We're going to start, you know, that never happens. It never happens because maybe that's, those weren't the people you were supposed to really have to begin with, right? Maybe those weren't, that wasn't the cost structure. Maybe, you know, there's, there's an infinite amount of things where resetting and restarting is sometimes the healthiest thing you can do long-term. And it actually allows you to build the business in a proper context, not just because there's a recession, but because now, you know, uh, who you should have hired and where you should have gone uh, when you go to build a business again. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. And I think some of that's driven by the fact that when we're making decisions in, in the normal course of business, right? So outside of a crisis, outside of a recession, um, we're often building kind of bottom up, right? Towards a strategic goal, but we're building bottom up. You know, it, new costs tend to come from, from downstream. Um, you know, somebody needs a new machine, somebody needs more marketing spend, somebody needs something, right? And we tend to look at those in a fairly siloed fashion, right? We look at those and we say, okay, what is the value of this thing that's being proposed? Does that make sense um, in the current context? And, and yes, right? Um, two months later, that context may be totally different. And if it wasn't considered sort of in a, in a global sense, then when you're forced to look at these things in a recession, in some moment of crisis, we tend to look top down, right? We tend to say like, okay, what's most important right now? All right, which we are rarely forced to consider. Um, I think good leaders do, but I don't think that everybody always does that. Um, but when we're forced to do that and look top down, I think that it puts it into that broader context. We get out of the silos, we get out of the vacuum decision making, and we say, okay, of all the things, we got to cut a bunch of stuff, or we got to we got to clean up a bunch of things, we got to reduce spend, we got to do whatever. Um, you look at that in a more global way uh, when you're forced into it, as opposed to, you know, okay, we want to we want to you know increase marketing spend by fifteen percent next month. We don't necessarily look at how that threads through the entire organization when we're making that decision in the course of normal business, um, which is an interesting interesting insight, right? Maybe we should start to do more of that, but um, that can be tough too, right? Because uh, you can sort of endlessly analyze, and that leads to paralysis. But um, I think that in 
in the right context and, and you know, given the appropriate attention, things like a recession, things like a crisis can be really healthy for the business. If nothing else, um, it rings that bell that says, hey, pay attention to everything right now. <laughs> let's, let's go back through it. Let's reset um, and let's figure out how we move forward from here. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer, from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later.